The following message is brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. To learn more about the Ezra Institute's mission to advance the Lordship of Christ, please visit www.ezrainstitute.ca. Get into the culture clash. There's so much to address. This culture is a shape-shifting animal because uh, so many things are being advanced as uh, by activists, advocacy groups, uh, just laws change, people's mood, sentiments, the times they are a-changing, as a man once wrote in a song, and uh, that's where we find ourselves on Tuesdays discussing all this stuff. And against that backdrop, Scott Masson is with us, a fellow of the Ezra Institute of Contemporary Christianity. Good morning, Scott. Good morning. And Justin Trache, spokesperson for the Canadian Secular Alliance. How's Justin? Justin's well. Good. Uh, you too. Good. Good. Yeah. Hey, I wanted to bring up something I talked about very briefly earlier this morning, and uh, because it's got cultural impact birth certificates you know everybody carries around id and uh a couple out in saskatchewan is contesting the gender selection box on the birth certificate application which they needed i guess for their uh, son who believes uh he is a girl actually and the family seems to uh believe as much as well and they don't want him designated m for male but rather f for female and in a perfect scenario would actually have both gender identities M and F removed from the birth certificate, and they filed a human rights complaint, and they see this increasingly across the country in different precincts where people are pushing for this because, in fact, it would uh, recognize gender-variant children, meaning, you know, you can identify with whatever gender you feel you actually are, Mm -hmm. biology notwithstanding. Scott Masson, is that a great leap forward? It's an absurd uh, consequence of absurd premises, and I'm not surprised by it. It was only a matter of time. Uh, on, on any number of levels, it's problematic, not least of which since gender identity is something that one self-declares, what if he self-declares something down the road and wants to change it back and so forth? That's, that's absurd. Uh, the fact that it's a historical document about uh, that particular uh, boy's uh, birth as a, I think it was a boy you said? I can't even remember. Yeah, it doesn't, okay. Yeah. Uh, and now he's a girl. Um, but above all, it really is, uh, the, the, the bigger issue here is that uh, to be an, a person is to be either male or female. Um, when we start changing things like this to accommodate perceived uh, orientations or uh, senses of self-identity uh, in favor of uh, what we can manifestly see as a biological fact, we're also ad- attacking something connected to human personhood. When I ask uh, it, whether somebody's just had a boy or a girl, I am not just asking something incidental. I'm asking how I'm to relate to this person because I do relate differently to a boy than to a girl because men and women are fundamentally different. We all recognize this. Our laws reflect that our, our culture is built around that. And to uh, change this by just a sort of a, a stroke of the bureaucratic pen is to do something fundamentally damaging to society. So I think it's absurd to accommodate this. All right. Okay. Justin, before I get you uh, in here on the same point, uh, you know, in Ontario in 2012, you see, there was a law saying, well, if you go through the operation and you get, uh, you know, sex reassignment surgery and go from, say, uh, female to male or vice versa, uh, in Ontario, the Human Rights Tribunal decided in 2012 that uh, that's almost 
too coercive on the part of the state to make you have that sex reassignment surgery. Right. So you then designated one specific. You can self-identify. It's okay now with a doctor's note, a psychiatrist saying, we've diagnosed and you are believing yourself to be a female trapped in a male body if you want to identify as a female. Let's, but this is now a six-year-old. We're talking about like sort of prepubescent, maybe not really sexually aware uh, of gender identity. Do you think it's important to uh, allow for this designation as you see fit, as you want to call, make the call? Well, that age is a, is a critical difference. The fact that it, uh, the law as it stands right now, at least in Ontario, allows and empowers individuals once they are post-puberty, uh, during which sexuality and gender identity uh, does largely develop after that period to opt to make changes to their uh, birth certificate or other pieces of identification that list their gender. And that's the individual being given that right. Um, but here what's happening is parents seem to have decided for this this young person um, that at six years old, the uh, the physical body in, in, in which this person lives is is not um, consistent with their with their gender identity, gender identity. And I think it's it's really it's too soon to tell. So I think it's a bit of an overreach. I think it makes sense in the case of of transgender people who are um, uh, who have matured and are, and are able to to make that decision for themselves. But I think we also have to remember that there is a counter argument that the reason we have some forms of identification or some forms of designation um, of gender on uh, birth certificates and and driver's license and other forms of identification is that they they do provide a way of identifying people as actually uh, being the person given on the ID. So I think it, it, there is an important and, and compelling reason why the state requires some of these designations to remain. So I'm not necessarily sympathetic with removing um, that, that designation completely, but I do think that if people are are, are moving from one gender identity to another, uh, then in those cases it does make sense for the same reason, that they are now behaving and, and, and well, dressing and living as a, as a member of the other gender, and so the ID needs to conform to that. So the only problem here for you is the age issue. That's the, the primarily issue. But that seems to me to be beside the point, quite frankly, because uh, I, I've acknowledged that in puberty, uh, boys and girls uh, undergo transformation so that we, they take on the characteristics of men and women. We yes. understand that. Uh, that doesn't change their gender identity, however. That remains the same because their gender identity is their sexual identity. And whether they choose at that stage to do so, it's just as arbitrary as before. There's nothing that anybody else can see. You pointed to the fact that this we have to identify this as a boy or a girl at birth. Well, we also have to identify it as a boy or a girl at as an adult. So, I mean, and, and, and there'll be even more male and even more female. And so right. it's even more I absurd. I disagree with a you prospect. because I do think there's a difference between gender and and, and sex. Well, what, what about a, th a third option or maybe more? Uh, and there's a complaint that says now, you know, you've got as many as six or eight choices. Or 50 according to Facebook, right? You well, know? Yeah, fa Facebook says that, that's right. And uh, <laughs> what an unimpeachable source they are. Yeah. So could you strike a box, have a third box to say other? Well, but again, it, it, the, the question is, wh why do we have this this uh, this piece of data on on a driver's license or another uh, another form of identification? Identify and a person, I think right? The, yeah, the reason is that there is, as I said, a, uh, there's a compelling uh, uh, a rationale that the state has to be able to identify somebody at the airport or when they're being screened to make sure that their identification is correct, that it does True. It does properly tag them. So, although it might it might seem now kind of crude that we only have uh, that binary 
binary choice, male or female, considering that we're seeing gender increasingly as fluid. But I, I still think that um, <coughs> that there is a rationale to, to keep it simple so that All we right. can use it so you want at least the two as the options. best procedure to tell if somebody is who they say they okay, are. So only two options then, two options, Scott, I got it. But it's a debate. Uh, Human Rights Commission out there in Saskatchewan or the tribunal is going to rule on that. I have to wait and see how that goes down because other precincts will take their cue. Here's something else. Ontario's top court is in the midst of grappling with uh, would-be Canadians, you know, people who come to this country, landed immigrants, want to become full-on citizens. But uh, there were three who apparently uh, are taking this up the uh, judicial food chain. They don't want to swear an oath to the Queen, her heirs and successors. And uh, the court found that this is, in fact, constitutional, even though, ironically, it may violate their free speech. It's still constitutional. How about it? The oath to uh, the queen and whatever, uh, is it important to recognize still? Well, the queen is the head of state here and uh, in Canada, and uh, they're wanting to become Canadian citizens. That means they need to acknowledge the, the powers that be as they exist in the country. So I, I think it's absurd to say they want to be a Canadian and yet don't want this. They, you don't get to pick and choose what it means to be the thing that you're you're trying to join. You're not even in yet. You can't d- determine uh, the rules of membership when you're not even a member. It's, a, it's, it's an absurdity. It's, a, it's, again, a reflection of total arbitrary willfulness, and I am going to uh, national identify according to the characteristics I choose. It's like gender identity. It's a species of the same absurdity, although less noxious and absurd than the gender identity thing. Oh, Grant. Justin? Well, I should preface this by saying that I am I'm definitely not a monarchist, so if I had my way, there nobody would swear an oath to the queen. There would be no queen. There'd be no monarchy that would have any uh, power or authority. I don't think having a an individual who is the head of state and also represents and is defender of a faith um, and is a foreigner uh, makes sense in the Canada of 2014. But having said all of that, um, I think that you are weighing two different considerations. I am sympathetic to the free speech argument. Uh, we're not the same country as the United States, but in the U.S. and I think many jurisdictions, if not across the country, uh, courts have ruled that students uh, don't have to uh, uh, swear allegiance or make a, a pledge to their country, that that violates their free speech rights. I, I am sympathetic to that kind of argument. On the other hand, this is the way things are right now. We do have a queen. If new Canadians are, but are freedom wanting is not to, an absolute, to join right, this country, then then I think that having them uh, show their, their loyalties to the values of the country, that's what I think it should be, the values of the country, not a, an anarchic But, but isn't uh, that one of tradition. the values of the country? Right. They don't, you don't get to choose and determine the values of the country. That's well, the well that's why if that is part of this current makeup, the status quo of the country, I can understand that. Uh, but it's interesting that, you know, Canadians who are born and are, are native to Canada never have to swear an allegiance to, to anybody. Uh, no, they're born the in this country and they're born under the laws of this country and they grow up under them without really considering what it means to be that. They should be taught it probably in their classes, in civics classes, etc. But they, by and large, accept and, and, and work in accordance with that. You're right, they don't, they don't swear that oath and they're not required to. On the other hand, they are required to acknowledge the laws of the land, the laws of the land are a reflection of the monarchy, and the monarchy uh, is, uh, places herself under God. That's how our, our, our country works. That's exactly how it operates. Would you impose a pledge of allegiance or something similar for, for students to, to, uh, to have to swear in, in school at some point? For what purpose? 
Uh, just to you know, guarantee that they have learned and will abide by the values of Canada, including the, our well. This is more than tradition. values. This is also about the structure, the makeup of the country. I mean, Correct. it's very foundational principles. So you're buying in. Are you buying in or are you not? And they're challenging the buy-in. They don't want to buy in at the very most basic level. Really, let's That's come right. back. Uh, there are other people who aren't buying in, including a Toronto area father uh, whose son goes to a Catholic school, but uh, dad didn't want him getting any of the religious programming that is part and parcel of the Catholic system. And uh, the father won that right. Uh, was that the right decision? Yes or no? We'll put it to the panel here in a moment. This is a culture clash, plain and simple. All right, we're back into it. The culture clash uh, with Scott Masson and Justin Trache. We were talking about the oath to the queen and her heirs and successors as being a requirement for citizenship, but it's being contested right now in the highest court in the province. And uh, who knows how that'll go, but... We've had uh, a difference of opinion here. And then on the uh, matter of gender identification on birth certificates, uh, a couple out in Saskatchewan want to scrap the whole thing because their son actually believes he's a girl at six, and uh, they support that, and they think that this is discriminatory in its own way. Uh, some of your thoughts? Let's go to Chris first off. Hi there, John. How are you? Hi. Good, thanks. Uh, yeah, um, just to chime in on the uh, swearing in of new Canadians, I think it's ludicrous that this is actually before the courts and someone's challenging it. There's and any way you look at it that by the UN, there's anywhere from 191 to 196 countries in the world. They can choose where to go if they don't believe in the Canadian common. Like we were a Commonwealth nation, so if they don't believe in it, then go to one of the other 195 countries in the world. Should I also be packing my bags? Yeah, if you don't. Yes, you should. Thank you for imbibing the values of inclusion and tolerance of diversity of opinion that I think actually does make Canada the greatest country in the world. Yeah, so we can tolerate it, but if you're if you're choosing to leave a country, you're obviously choosing to make a better life for yourself somewhere else. Why would you come to another country and try to impose your old beliefs upon some place new? It makes no sense. Hmm. Like you know, it's a choice to come here. It's not a right. It's it, it's not something that you're entitled to. It's a choice. All right, so our house, our rules. I got your point. Well, you know, here's another story. I'll just keep throwing them at you guys and uh, see if uh, folks uh, weigh in one way or the other. But uh, in Brampton, a father whose uh, son is in grade 11 attends uh, a Roman Catholic school. Uh, Notre Dame, I believe, is a school. But he didn't want his kid to have to uh, take part in any of the trappings of Catholicism, like uh, masses and liturgies and whatever. And uh, he won that case in court. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, this could set a precedent where parents who just want their kids to opt out still want them to go to a Catholic school because, you know, maybe it's uh, the best school in the area or it's convenient. But you can have a religious exemption just by wanting out. Uh, Scott Masson, is this a great uh, step forward for education? They say this happened under the Education Act and uh, parents can now opt out. You in favor or not? Well, the the original decision, which allowed exemption from the religious courses, even if you chose to attend a a Catholic school as a non-Catholic student, seems to me to have led... This is an inevitability, quite frankly. If they've allowed uh, for you to opt out of the religious instruction component um, and you identify as a non-Catholic, then, of course, you're not going to want to go to uh, masses and and such uh, um, types of things. And it's going to be even, um, you're going to have less ground to stand on, I would have thought, as, uh, as the Catholic system. And I don't even know why they'd want to compel a, uh, the boy to attend Mass, quite frankly. 
Um, it used to be the policy of the Catholic Church if that you weren't Catholic, you couldn't take the Mass. So what is the point to sit in there and watch everyone else take it? I don't hmm. quite understand the That's logic there exactly. Well, or is it a case of, you know, because if they cede uh, this point and uh, more people go to the school but they don't attend any of the religious instruction or whatever, the programs, as they're called. For all intents and purposes, it's Catholic only in name. This is the fear. There's a weakening of Catholicism and Catholic doctrine and dogma within the publicly funded Catholic school system, ironically. And uh, we've seen that with with Bill 13 and the, the Accepting Schools Act. Which, uh, which I was, it was uh, part of the, the lobbying effort to push, and, and part of that legislation guaranteed students the right to form gay-straight alliances. And Catholic schools uh, opposed the bill, but once it became law, they, they said, all right, well, we're going to have to follow it. Of course, secretly, we know that they're, they're making it as hard as possible for students to actually exercise their constitutional rights. But on the other hand, there are now internal debates within the Catholic boards about what this means about the future of, of publicly funded Catholic education. If now they have to accept that they don't have full control over things like extracurricular activities. And we've seen, we've seen the response by the, the, the Catholic trustees and, and, and their bishops, their allies, um, in, the, in the religious domain to beef up lobbying efforts to actually now hold uh, masses at Queen's Park, uh, which become opportunities to push to lobby for the continued uh, uh, government support of, of public school funding uh, f- uh, for Catholic schools. You wouldn't the, deny them that right, though, they, right? They are, they are very concerned about the future of their schools. Well, let's project forward 10, 20 years. you think the Catholic system is still going to be in existence in Ontario? I think 10, 20 years ago, people were asking that question, and I'm, I'm astounded to see that we still have... Uh, uh, this relic in 2014. So I, I don't know. I certainly would like to see some some courageous politicians at least willing to um, signal that there is a problem. That there's continuing conflicts when you have this disconnect. Everybody pays for a public institution, but yeah, but it, it'll be in name only. Let's grab one. We'll yeah, and I come at it from a different angle here on, on this. I, I think that it's inevitable that uh, there that there will be a, a rupture there. And uh, for faithful Catholics, they don't want the state meddling in their education either. So I mean, that really is an issue that I think. Uh, my, my genuine Catholic friends uh, and, and evangelicals need to band together and to push towards the defunding of the public system across the board and to reimagine the state, the whole education pie. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not just Catholic public education. But as uh, yeah, private schools. Here's Joan and Lindsay. What do you got for us, Joan? Well, um, I'm calling on the question of gender identification. Right. And, um, you know, my, my concern is... Um, why do we have to have such rigid uh, gender um, role identification, especially for children, uh, but also for adults? I mean, you know, why, why, I mean, it's a sociologically defined concept gender is as opposed to biologically defined in, in the most part. So, Which means the you know, one's I, real and the other's nonsense, but yes. No, 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 I'm not saying that. I'm, but I am saying that why can't men wear dresses? Why can't little boys who want, you know, or, or children with male genitalia, why can't they wear dresses? I mean, what's wrong with that? Why can't uh, children with female genitalia play with trucks? Why can't women who yeah, want but you know, wear hard hats and work as engineers? I don't know. I don't those are it. different issues. Right? Yeah, that, is, that doesn't speak to the core of your, uh, that doesn't define you uh, biologically. I mean, that's what Scott's talking about, biological definitions here of male and female. You're just talking about, uh, well, you but, know. But, but gender, but genders, the gender is 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 not you know uh, biologically. If 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 that's the only issue, then I would suggest just t- just tweak the the, the birth certificate a little, little bit. You know, and instead of saying male or female, say born with male genitalia, born with female <laughs> genitalia, born with both. 
Well, to be accurate on the birth certificate, it says sex, male or female. It doesn't okay, say well, gender, right? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's, I don't understand the whole point. It's a frivolous lawsuit. All right. Thanks, Joan, for weighing in. You know, as far as uh, the teachings of the church, here's another story out of the Vatican. Pope Francis is praising church workers in Africa who promote chastity as a key way to preventing the spread of HIV. Speaking yesterday, uh, two bishops from Tanzania and Africa, where uh, the scourge is unabated and, in fact, uh, is taken off, many non-Catholic healthcare workers, they want condoms as the principal weapon against the fight in the spread of AIDS and AIDS, uh, HIV and AIDS. Uh, but the Vatican says it's education, and uh, that's the, the best route to uh, sexual responsibility and chastity. Justin, is the church missing an opportunity here to... Uh, put a stop to the spread of HIV AIDS in Africa? Well, there's nothing inconsistent with pushing uh, education in terms of, of promoting abstinence and also, making condoms, available, and also making available uh, condoms and, and, um, and, and other, uh, other safety um, uh, mechanisms to, to prevent the spread of HIV and other sexually transmitted diseases. But actually, if they're interested in, in creating um, uh, more abstinent societies, they should actually be in favor of the kind of more advanced sexual education that, unfortunately, we we we, did, we failed to implement in Ontario because studies and research shows that when you educate children in terms of sexual education at a young age, you actually lead to abstinence. You actually teach them about nasty things like STDs um, and, Does that lead and, to and, and give them the facts about the fact that people do wait, generally speaking. Seriously, to so what you're saying is education works in uh, curbing the spread of STDs and HIV AIDS. You're saying mm-hmm. education By actually leading works. to abstinence. Yes. Does Sorry? it? Yes. Scott Masson? Sorry, what's that? what exactly is the point? That teaching people about sexual abstinence giving the facts preaching abstinence or Mm -hmm. well what you're saying is education leads to abstinence the pope is basically saying abstinence is you know the means to the end of stopping the spread of hiv aids they don't want to advocate for birth control condoms that kind of thing it's all about uh educating people when when people are acquainted with the horrors of sexually transmitted diseases which are are on the rise in in ontario for instance um, yes, it does lead to abstinence that, uh, in, in many, in many, uh, I'm not, I, I don't know about the stats on that, J- Justin, but I do think that education is the best means of, uh, promoting or, uh, uh the, the, or sorry, preventing the spread of diseases. But, yeah. but here's, here's the disconnect because I'm with you on that, but it's often the, the folks who want to crusade for abstinence only a approaches with respect to to education in in sexuality um, that don't realize that the more you you provide youngsters with the facts about stds the facts about the rates with which their 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 uh their their colleagues in in schools are actually having sex that actually ends up leading to abstinence we just if we're honest and and truthful to to youngsters with the facts about sex and sexuality it naturally studies show leads to them making the decision to be abstinent it doesn't need to be pushed on them we don't need to hide the existence of condoms i think that's actually detrimental all right yeah but okay no i was just going to say well uh, you know there also is this movement that says you know we've got to willy-nilly hand out uh, you know bowls full of condoms which and make they them do Right, and uh, that somehow that's uh, so you see it as a two tiered approach or a double pronged approach, as to the Pope says, rather than condoms, you know, we're going to teach, uh, educate, and abstinence uh, is the best uh, means of preventing. So, in other words, you're promoting a confusing message, which is that the best way to avoid the diseases is to abstain. 
and oh, and here's some condoms in case you can't. I mean, it, it, it actually, we know some people you're, won't. Disincent- <laughs> you're, you're teaching and disincentivizing the very thing that's going to prevent. No, them that's from not harm. actually what the research bears out. The research bears out that when you hide facts from youngsters, they find out about those facts, um, but they don't always get them from the, the right sources. And sometimes they end up that en- that ends up leading to more confusion. If you are honest and and open with young people, then what I'm saying is that they know the facts and the facts often compel them to choose abstinence. But yeah, it is two-pronged. You also do need to make birth control available and condoms available because some young people will make, I think, the wrong decisions, but their decisions, and they need to have protection available to them. All right, let me grab more calls here quickly. Jeffrey's been waiting. Go ahead, Jeffrey. We're listening. Well, thank you very much. Um, I think that uh, based on what Justin just said about education, the fact is is that uh, the the more we learn about uh, uh, gender identity, the fact is is that uh, talk to anybody who is uh, identifies as, as being gay, they, they say that they started uh, realizing that they were they were gay when they were uh, toddlers, and so the, you know, so therefore, if that's the case, then 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 so be it. A lot Some of them say that. I beg your pardon. Some of them say that there are. A lot of yeah, yeah, yeah. You're absolutely right. There are women and men who, uh, when they're in their forties, they they realize that they've been they they've been uh, living a lie, and I understand that. But uh, but. With regards to the uh, the uh, pledging of an oath to the Queen, I think it's rather an anarchist uh, uh, situation when you, just because uh, the Queen's uh, great-grandmother's German family happened to be next in line, that we're pledging allegiance to her, you know. As far as I'm concerned, when when the, uh, uh, the astronauts are looking down on the Earth, they say, you know what, there are no lines. The th- sooner we get away from this uh, nationalism uh, as, as tribalism and we all learn to get along, then we're going to be far better off. Okay. But sovereignty doesn't mean anything to you then? No, not at all. Not at all. All right. <laughs> Got your point. Uh, how about Greg and Oshawa? Let's get you in here. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, also on um, the citizenship thing, uh, you know, there's rules to become a citizen. If you want the right to free speech, you got to follow the rules to get, earn that right to become a citizen. Because, you know, the rights, uh, the charter applies to Canadian citizens, not landed immigrants and whatever. You know, what if I just say, I, I just want to become a doctor? There's rules and regulations to become that. I can't just go start practicing medicine. So you're with Scott Masson on this one. you got to buy into... Uh... The, the constitutional principles or the foundational principles of the country. Uh, one more. Here's Michael in Toronto. What do you say, Michael? Good morning. Hey, hi. I'm calling about the Constitution thing. Uh, I'm a German-landed immigrant. <laughs> I have a big problem with swearing allegiance to an individual. I'd love to swear allegiance to the flag of Canada or the Constitution of Canada. But swearing allegiance to a queen that's more German than she is British, i got an issue with that. Well, okay. As a German, I know what happens when you swear allegiance to an individual. Well, you can't swear. Well, you can't swear allegiance to a thing first of all. So, swearing allegiance to a flag is a symbol of something else. It's an absurdity. You have to. You have to swear allegiance Not an to an absurdity. Let me swear allegiance to the Constitution then. Right, a piece of paper. What? What does that exactly mean? Well, that's what they do in the U.S. That's what they do in a lot of other countries. Well, speaking of the Constitution, speaking of the Constitution, just some quick fact checking on the last remark. And in fact, the Charter does apply to all those in Canada. So it's not just Canadian citizens. Of course, but, okay, yeah. 
This is taking a hundred different directions. The point here is that the Queen, uh, who happens to have a German uh, her- uh, heritage, we grant, we're, we're swearing allegiance to the person that holds the office. When the Queen is dead, it's long live the Queen, or long live the King, as it were. There's a representative role there that that particular Queen happens to fill, and we and, and that is a part of our constitutional monarchy. No, we're not swearing to not. The, the office of the Queen or yes, to the are, monarchy actually. tradition. We're swearing to the Queen and all her that descendants. Person, because so that suggests it's a family. Office. It's a family that we owe our allegiance allegiance to. It's a foreign family. It's a person who fills an office, and you can't swear again to an office because it's a thing. You swear to persons because you're responsible to that persons. That suggests a kind of ownership of a country, which is completely futile and, and uh, harkens the to, the, to the, the Middle Ages. It's, Canada it's is a tradition owned, we have long abandoned. Guys, no, not. Canada is owned by God. I've got it's a dominion. Abandon this uh, discussion right now. It's uh, obviously one that's going to take on a life of its own, too, when the ruling comes down, whether these uh, three applicants are successful uh, in their appeal. Thank you both. Uh, Scott Masson, fellow of the Ezra Institute of Contemporary Christianity, and Justin Trache, spokesperson for the Canadian Secular Alliance. We'll do it again real soon. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. Please feel free to share it with friends, but do not charge for or alter the material in any way without the express written consent of the EICC. Thank you.